people are so stupid they didn't even understand the doctrine of the hypostatic union. And I said, do you understand the doctrine of the hypostatic union? (laughs) What they didn't understand was the terminology. And they should have said, do you believe Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time? And the answer would have been yes. And do they understand it? Probably to the degree any of us could. How did God and man fit into one being at the same time? How did he remain God and how did he stay perfect man? How did all that happen? We know that it happened. But it is a doctrine that that is not something that you just go find a verse here, find a verse there, pop these things together in a summary, and then... Then you figure out what it is. I've also seen people that that uh, uh, back early on in my ministry, if if I uh, gave a doctrine, because we called everything a doctrine back then, back 40 years ago, everything was the doctrine of this and the doctrine. Oh, we had the doctrine of doctrines. Uh, we had the doctrine of the importance of Bible doctrine. We had the doctrine of everything that you could possibly imagine. We had We called them all doctrines. And then the older I got, the more I found out that, there, yes, there are doctrines, but there's some that are just opinions. And so how do, you, how do you sort those things out? How do you separate those out? Hypostatic union, we can understand a lot about it, but how do we apply it to life? Because if all we do is know about it, we haven't figured out yet how to use it. And if all we do is know about it, we become arrogant. And that's... Not the way that we're called to live. When you study the doctrine of love, for example, in the New Testament, the verbs and nouns are used over a hundred times. That turns it into a major doctrine. And you have to spend a lot of time analyzing how it's used in every verse and then seeing how it fits together and how it is categorized. How it, how, you know, the love of Love toward God, the love of God towards man, the love for husband and, and between husband and wife, the love for one another. How does this fit? What does the word mean? That's kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall, isn't it? What does the word mean? Well, I think it means do what's right and best even when you don't feel like it. That seems to be agape love for me. The best understanding I have of it. But it's something that when you start putting things together, you have to just stop and and think. The entirety of the Bible is about Jesus the Messiah. All of it. Some talk about it, his coming. Others talk about his presence. Others talk about how we shall live. And others talk about when he's coming back. Now, that's all about him. And if we push him out of the Bible then we've made a serious mistake. So who is this Jesus that we've run into? And this is a, I can tell you this is not complete. I've, I've known people that have said, well, uh, they quote a pastor and they say, well, here's five points of the summary that he gave and you change point three and four. Therefore, you're not doctrinal. And I went, give me a break. Sometimes you don't even want to talk to people. <laughs> It's kind of like the doctrine. See, the opinion is how it's put together to present. Okay, that it's what is presented is what makes the doctrine, not how it's put together or arranged. 
because it's done a lot of different ways, and God doesn't specify any particular one way in, in, to do it. Kind of like music. You know, it, what kind of music can, can we uh, have? Um, it's supposed to have it's supposed to be theologically sound. It's supposed to give praise to God, but the type of music is not specified. With all the music found in the Scripture, not one of them says this is the way that it's got to go. Now <clears throat> we're just going to let the Scripture talk to us this morning. And first of all, He's the salvation. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Savior. He is the salvation from the biggest problems of humanity. What do we need to know about him? Why do we need to know him? Because he's the deliverance. Salvation, soteria, basically means to preserve from danger. Rulmai is a word that means to rescue out of the middle of danger. Okay? Both of which are translated salvation and both of which indicate a rescue. So, so I've used the illustration. It's kind of like your your kid is getting ready to step out into a street with moving traffic, okay? And you preserve them. You hold them back. You keep them. That's soteria. You have preserved them from danger. Ruomize if they've stepped out, and you jerk them out of the line of fire. That's ruomai. The two are both very important. And as you study scripture, you find out there are different kinds of preservation from danger. The first one is from the penalty for sin. <clears throat> the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need it. We all need it. John 8, verse 23, he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are not of this world. And uh, he says, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I said, therefore to you, you shall die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We're born into sin. We're born with a sin nature. Adam passed it on to every member of the human race. The only one that didn't have it's Jesus. That's why he needed to be born of a virgin. But all the rest of us, we have it. Okay? So we have this <coughs> sin nature. We have sins. Unless we accept Christ as Messiah, that's how we're going to die. Not that they haven't been paid for, just that we haven't accepted the payment. He is the penalty. He is the <coughs> salvation <coughs> for the biggest problems, for the penalty for sin that separates us from God for eternity. I have conversations with different people around the globe at times, and it's amazing. Some of these conversations lead to discussions of politics and how we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. Because the politics are going to save us. Wrong. Wrong. Christianity is designed in such a way that you can live for Christ under any political system ever devised by man. Amen. That's the way it works. Because I know Christians that are living as Christians in Russia, in India, in Africa, 
under incredible domination from the government and from other religions, and they are still living for Christ and doing that. Now, they've been saved from the penalty for sin, and that means their eternity is taken care of. And you know, if we ever grabbed hold of what it means to have eternal life, we shouldn't be afraid of anything. Should we? Fear not, fear not, fear not. And Jesus is saying, I gave you eternal life by grace through faith. What do you need to be afraid of? What do you need to be afraid of? The politics? Good politics not going to straighten things out when the heart of man is deceitfully corrupted. Just not going to do it. Now, from the penalty for sin. But that's the biggest problem humanity faces. We look on a horizontal level. We look at things going on. We look at circumstances of life. And we make judgments and don't consider the spiritual realm. And we should because that's where the battle is. That's where the battle is. We are, he is also the salvation from the power of sin. That separates us from complete fellowship with God in time. Okay? This, my chains are gone. They've been broken. Song we did last week, I come broken to be mended. Okay? That's a good thing to be broken. And <clears throat> what about a complete fellowship with, with God? And see, once you believe in Jesus Christ, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay? You're saved forevermore. So the fellowship's not completely severed when we sin. Because he's still there. Who convicts us of sin? The Holy Spirit. Okay, but is our fellowship hurt? Absolutely, it's harmed. Because God does not like sin. A complete fellowship with God. But see, as the sins get confessed and dealt with and you don't get involved in them anymore. I've heard people say, well, just confess your sins. And they're continuing in the same sin they were that they confessed. What does that do for fellowship? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Galatians 5:16 talks about this massive internal struggle that we have going on inside of each of us believers. He says, for I say, walk by the Spirit, <clears throat> and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the, the churches who are in Galatia. He is talking to believers who are there. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? Paul did. Romans 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? It's not me. It's the sin inside of me that does this. Okay? It's pushing me. It's triggering me. It's tempting me. He says, and the Spirit against the flesh. So the one that moved on the... the, uh, you moved into Christ and who moved inside of you, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There, there's a war going on. It says, for these are in opposition to one another. And that is, uh, I mentioned before, the word opposition in the English translation, not strong enough. It's the word to make war that is being used there. It says they are at war with one another. And if you haven't noticed, maybe your, your <laughs> sin nature's taken over too much. But they are at war with one another. So that you might not do the things that you please. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
And now the deeds of the flesh are evident. <clears throat> they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I love what Paul did under the ministry. Of the Holy. He gives us a great big list like he's so good at doing. And then he says, and things like these. <laughs> Why? Because we rationalize it. Oh, well, what I did is not found in that list, so it must be all right. And we know that it's really not all right. So anyway, <clears throat> and he says, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if your life is known for immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and all that other stuff listed in there, and it's uh, your inheritance in the kingdom, you'll still be there as a believer, but it's going to be lacking. Why? Because there's a thing called gold, silver, and precious stones. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And we're all going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to put all of our works in this big fire. And the wood, hay, and stubble, all our human good stuff is going to burn up. And the gold, silver, and precious stones going to be left. And that's a part of our rewards. To overcomers, you might get to reign with him in the millennial kingdom, is what it says in Revelation 2 and 3. And what about a crown? Wouldn't you like to have a crown? Well, I'm just going to throw it at his feet, because you read Revelation 4 and 5. So what do I need a crown for? I'm just going to toss it down one of these days. The key is, wouldn't it be nice to have one to toss? <laughs> you know, think about that. Wouldn't it be nice... <clears throat> To throw your crown at your king's feet. That would be a blessing, wouldn't it? But crowns don't go to everybody. They go to the overcomers. Blessed is he who perseveres to the end, so he, he shall receive the crown of life. Now well, let's see. Didn't Paul write about one, the crown of righteousness? That the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Okay, I fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. You want the crown of righteousness? That's available. It would be great to have those crowns to throw at our master's feet. But the fruit of the Spirit, in stark contrast to the works and deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Because against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we are called to do. If we live by the Spirit, isn't that how we live at all? Let us walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved inside of you and sealed you for the day of redemption. That's what he did. The Holy Spirit moved inside of you and guaranteed you eternal life. The Holy Spirit is the assurance of your salvation. So he's on the inside. And now you've got a battle going on between right and wrong inside your soul. And sadly, the devil is winning too many of those battles in, in the church, which is what Second Peter and Jude have been talking about. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful. 
challenging one another and envying one another. That's the opposite part, see, of the fruit of the Spirit. So we're not trying to outdo other Christians. We're trying to serve our king. The big difference. We're not in a competition with one another to who can end up with the most gold, silver, and precious stones. The gold's just paving material anyway. I think we're going to kind of a big so what when we get there. But it'd be an honor to be able to receive those. So from the power of sin, it's a battle, and it's, and it's won by decisions. How important is that? Because the world says you're a product of your environment. The world says all this stimuli coming in from the outside, that's what makes you make the decisions that you make. The Bible says, no, you are the one responsible for those decisions. You're the one responsible. Adam, Eve, see that tree? Don't eat. And the day you eat, dying, you'll die. That's what he said. So what did they do? They ate. What happened? They died. It's, it's what happens. We decide we want to be our own gods. And look what happens. The penalty of sin. The power of sin. And the presence of sin. That separates us from its effects. Which is death for all of eternity. We will never undergo death again. Now that's good to know. <clears throat> that's, that's good to know. Larry, if you get tired, you can... Set in Kelvin spot. Okay. <laughs> the effects of sin for eternity. Now that that is so great. Revelation 21. If you want to read along there with me, these are great passages. Every time you read them, you <clears throat> oftentimes need a little bit of an explanation as to why it says what it does, where it says what it does. And he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just like Gary and I were talking, he said, you know, it's kind of like put on the new self. Sometimes uh, whenever we we just slop ourselves around and we get ready to dress up and go somewhere, it's kind of like we're putting on a new self. And it's often described in Scripture as being clothed. Okay? And I thought, that is, I told you, that's a great illustration of what we as Christians are supposed to do. Because we're all just slobs. Spiritually, we're slobs. That's who we are. We're ragamuffins. Any other title you want to put on there. Uh, in the sense, we're homeless. What? Because our home is in heaven. Okay? So in a sense, we're like Abraham walking around on this earth. And so put on the new self. What's the new self? <clears throat> Which is being renewed. This new self is... You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. This new self is, you've got a new life to live. This new self forgets what lies behind and presses on to what lies ahead. That's what this new self is all about. You're a new creation in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? You say, why am I still in this old body? Because it's the spiritual that always matters first. He says, I saw a new heaven, new earth. The first heaven and earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Oh, you're not going to have a beachfront property, I guess, in eternity. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I said, ooh. 
it sounds like a, a bride. Isn't the church supposed to be the bride? Believers supposed to be the bride? Wow, that's quite a deal. Made ready as a bride. Gets ready for it. That's putting on a new self, isn't it? The bride gets ready for the wedding. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Tabernacle is a tent. Oh, it's a new city, but he calls it a tent. Just a dwelling place. And he shall dwell in them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. You know why that verse is so, that phrase is so important? If there's no longer any death, there's no longer any sin. He is going to give you the ability to have volition and not be able to sin anymore. Have you ever thought about that? We'll be just like Christ then, won't we? Not able to sin. Now we're just barely not able to not sin. I mean, we're, we are, but in eternity, not going to be any sin. Because if there was sin, there'd be death. And he says, there shall no longer be any mourning. A lot of us have faced that, right? Or crying or pain. Because the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, <clears throat> Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write. Because these words are faithful and true. So John said, told, Write this stuff down. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. That sounds like I'll give freely eternal life without cost. Why? This Alpha and Omega paid the cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I'll be his God and he'll be my son. Wow, this is eternity as being a son of God. Huh. What does he mean to overcome? Do you have to get your life right and live everything perfectly from a certain point in time? Or you read 1 John 5, 4 and 5, also written by the same guy. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And our faith in Jesus Christ is what overcame the world for us. So you are an overcomer if you become a believer. People say, well, that's just easy believism. I've heard that to the point of nausea almost. In this day and time, the culture in which we live, the world we find ourselves, it's not easy to believe in Christ. And it's not easy for one to keep their faith. Why? Because everybody's against it. You know, I heard... Toby Keith's interview the other night. I thought it was a great interview. Except the name Jesus didn't come out in the interview. Does he obviously have a faith in the Creator, the Almighty, and all that? And what he did was infer it. So I'm not really blaming him. I think it had something to do with the television station he was on, is my personal thought. Because what they asked, what is your favorite verse? I think they were restricted before they got in the interview as to what could air. This is my personal opinion. It's not a doctrine of. 
Okay. <clears throat> but he said, my favorite verse is John 3.16. And he said, it's about belief. And you shall have. But anybody that knows John 3.16. Whoever believes in, in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it got snuck in there kind of like in the book of Esther. Without even mentioning it. But he said... Quite an example for a whole lot of people. He says, <clears throat> For the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral people and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's people dying in their sins, right? That never availed themselves of the solution to the problem which is found in Jesus the Messiah. That is, you know, because how easy would it have been to not be there? But if you'd rather hang on to those things, and I find interesting in all the lists that are given in Scripture, this one leads off with cowardly. People who were afraid to believe in Christ. And there's a lot of those floating around now. It's also going to be a salvation from the worst time in the history of the world. <clears throat> the worst time in the history of the world. See, the word soteria and its cognates and rule by, these are used in different contexts to refer to different types of salvation. Just as we have seen, salvation from the penalty for sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 <clears throat> and verse 9 Beautiful picture. Anybody know what 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 talks about the main topic? Huh? It's okay to say it if I ask. The rapture. Okay? You know what that's about. Chapter 5 goes on to talk about the way it's going to be in the last days. Okay? And an interesting thing about the way they book up, they broke up First Thessalonians, at the end of each chapter, almost, you find a reference to the fact he's coming back. It's really, really neat. First Thessalonians 5, 9, the end of this paragraph. For God has not destined us for wrath. Who's the us? Believers. For wrath, orge, the slow-burning wrath that is used to describe the wrath of God being poured out in the tribulation. He's not destined us for wrath. Us, the church, is not going to go through the wrath of God. Now, leave it to theologians. They're going to argue about when the wrath starts. Okay, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, split rapture, partial rapture, or whatever? Well, pre-trib fits the other passages. And so he's going to take us out. And some people say, well, the wrath is not going to start until the second half of the trib. That's why they move it to the... The, the middle part of the uh, tribulation for the rapture. But it actually, in, in Revelation 6.17, talks about the wrath that is, getting read, that is being poured out on the earth and the opening of the sixth seal judgment. So, real simply, if, if he just sits there and starts pulling these seals off and reading this, and there comes the first horseman, the second horseman, the third horseman, and the fifth horseman. There's going to be martyrdom throughout the tribulation for those who, who choose to stand with Christ. And the sixth seal, mm, that's the 
earth in upheaval. And you know what about the earth in upheaval and the tribulation? It tells you we didn't solve climate change. We didn't. But I think also the Christians are going to be blamed because we didn't solve climate change. We held them all back. But God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. That's our word, preservation from danger. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we can live together with him. Therefore, I love this. He's telling us, how do we live in light of the rapture? Encourage one another. Hebrews, writer of Hebrews, 10.24 did the same thing. 10.24 and 10.25. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And, and Paul here says, encourage one another, build up one another. And see, we're real good at tearing people down. Have you ever noticed the news media is all about who they can tear down? They wake up in the morning. Who can we get to fight each other? What kind of comment can we get from this legislator and this legislator and this governor to, to, to spark controversy? Because I think it was William Randolph Hearst said controversy sells. May have been the one that started Fox News. But in any event, controversy sells. And so they find a controversy and then they get 18 people say the same thing over the course of a 24-hour news cycle. And it just gets really old. How about building up one another? That's what we're called to do as Christians. Yeah, rebuke when you see a brother sinning. But when you see a brother handling temptation and not falling prey to it, how about a good word of encouragement? That's the way we need to be. We need to find the good things and we need to uh, encourage them. The, uh, I read a uh, book a long time ago. I think it was the One Minute Manager. How to Manage One Minute. And the, they hired a guy and they were sending him around on his first day. And they had a trainer and they were taking him from place to place. And the boss was in the shadows. <coughs> and they said, and the, the guy that just got hired kept noticing the boss in the shadows. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word to him. He finally asked the guy training him. He said, is he just looking for me to mess up? And he said, <laughs> he said, no, he is looking for you to do something right <laughs> so he can compliment you and build you up. That's the way bosses ought to be. Build up one another. He says, just as you also are doing. Now, wouldn't you like to get a proclamation like that inspired in Scripture like the church at Thessalonica did, the model church? Okay? This is what you need to be doing, and you're doing it. So he encouraged them to keep on doing it. He built them up, and he is uh, uh, continue on. Now, <clears throat> he's going to protect us from the worst time in the history of the world. That's worth all kinds of songs and music to which we do have. Uh, which which is good to say. He's the fulfillment of our deepest spiritual desires. 
the fulfillment of our deepest spiritual desires. Now, if you want to have fellowship with the Father, you have to go through Jesus. Do you want to know the Father? It'd be kind of nice to know the guy that spoke and brought the heavens into existence, wouldn't it? You want to know the Father? Romans chapter 1 talks about people that don't want to know the Creator. Uh, Romans 1, 18 to 30, talks about those who have just worshipped the created rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. You want to have fellowship with this Creator? You have to go through Jesus. John 14, 6, we know that verse. I am the way. Jesus said that. Ego I me. I myself, to the exclusion of all others, is what that structure means. Am the way. I find that interesting because that's what zodiac means. Is the way. And so many people worshipped the zodiac. And still do. Looking for the way. (laughs) Jesus said, I am the way. The truth. People study philosophy and all the different principles that. (laughs) He is the truth. It's not found in a philosophical principle unless you start with the man who is the author of truth and the life. We keep trying to save our save our lives. And we're not doing a real good job at it. I guess we are. We're living longer. Why are all these disease coming out? And Roger Muller says because we're having birthdays. We keep having birthdays and that's why some of these things don't happen until we get older in our life. <clears throat> so I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then look at this statement. No one, absolutely no one. The Greek is so strong. No one comes to the Father but through me. Yeshua HaMashiach. That's how we get to the Father. First <clears throat> John 1, verses 3 and 4. And we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. <clears throat> and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You want a full fellowship? See, we're told to be filled by the Holy Spirit, right? But filling is a process. It's not an instantaneous act. The same word used half a dozen times in the book of Ephesians. And it says that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God in chapter 3. So the filling of the Holy Spirit, does he fill with himself? No, he fills with the fullness of God that's previously identified there in the context. And what is the fullness of God all about? He's the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. If he's the sovereign, I don't have to try to be. He's absolute righteousness and justice, so I can find out the way that I need to live and when I get off track. He is eternal life, and he's given it to me, so why should I be afraid of anything? He is absolute love, and he'll never take that love away from me, so I'm free to give it. I don't have to look for it anymore. I, I, I sing along, used to sing along with that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. <laughs> you talk about a description of the world. <clears throat> Everybody wants to be loved. 
And they want to be loved unconditionally. And they're looking for something they already have. For God so loved the world. The devil offers you what you already have. If you can get that point in your head. Okay. He's going to offer you love from all the wrong places. And you need to look at the Lord and go. It, the verse Kelvin read out of Romans 8. Another one in there. This to know the love of God that passes all understanding. This, this, and that, that love lets us live life properly. What about omniscience? Well, we need to realize we don't know everything, and he does. So if I have a question, ask the one who has all the answers. He's omnipresent. Where can I go to hide from him? That means that you're not going to get away with anything. But also, he's right there when you need him. He's omnipotent. Oh, you know, he can do absolutely anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. Some things he just chooses not to do because he's sovereign. But omnipotent, the power to speak and bring the heavens into existence. The power to destroy this present heavens and earth with a word and bring a new one into existence. That's the God we serve. What about his immutability? He never changes. I love that. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's faithful even if we're faithless. So that immutability brings peace to my soul. And he's absolute truth. He's veracity. That's who he is. So when he speaks, it's worthy of listening to and embracing as truth. You want to have fellowship with the Father and be filled up to all the fullness of the Father? It's about Christ. If you want eternal peace with God... It has to come by grace through faith in Jesus. And with that comes hope. Let's see. Faith, hope, and love. Seems like we've got some posters on the wall that says that. That we stole from 1 Thessalonians. Because that's what makes a model church. It's not the building. It is whether or not the inhabitants of that that building function in faith, hope, and love. That's what makes a model church. Romans chapter 5. Another passage, therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified, declared righteous. Why do we need that? Because we're born unrighteous. (laughs) Okay? How do we get righteous enough to stand in front of a holy God? We don't. We have to be given it. This is a passive voice used here, having been justified by faith, declared righteous, given our pike pass into eternity. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good to know. If you read on down in the chapter, you find out we were once his enemies, his unbelievers. You might have been not cared about God or anything else, but you're his enemy if you're not on his side. It's pretty clear. But now you have peace as a believer. Through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. You know, a moment after salvation, we're still almost as goofy as we were the moment before. 
We really are, because there's a reprogramming that needs to go on in our souls. We've carried that same sin nature over onto the other side, but its power has been broken. So you don't have to listen to it anymore. You can do good stuff for the glory of God and not just as a coping mechanism for yourself. Now, if you want assurance of your salvation, this is one of the biggest problems, I think, in world religions, is that the... The, the, the five-point Calvinist, you're either predestined to heaven or hell, and you have no say in the matter whatsoever. Okay, That's part of the, that's part of the problem. So even people like John MacArthur, who's a five-point Calvinist, you ask him, well, are you one of the elect? And he said, well, I'm about 90% sure. That's the most recent answer. So it means you're still not sure. If you're only 90% sure, there's a, there's a, passage that like it says these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know you have eternal life it doesn't say a 90% no does it but Arminians see on the other hand believe you can lose your salvation over sin and both of them are coming from the wrong place both live a life of fear one of them wondering if they're elect and the other wondering if they've done enough. Those are works-based. See, right in the middle is where you would expect to find it because I have put my faith in the one who conquered sin and rose from the dead and said if I believed in him, I will be with him forever. That's where my object of faith is found and I can know I have eternal life. Now, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a really great verse. If I dug into the Greek for it, it's fascinating. Katakrima is the word that's used there. It's not used very often. Krima by itself means condemn or judge. Katakrima intensifies it, and it looks at eternal condemnation. So there's no eternal condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, guess what? He's not going to kick you out. That's the safest place you can be on earth. If you want eternal love, <clears throat> it's found in Jesus. You want to be loved? I'm convinced, he said, Paul, this is a point of time whenever he has reached in his understanding of doctrinal matters. And he said, I'm convinced. That's where we need to be when it comes to truth. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want an assurance of your salvation, an assurance of eternal life? It's all about Jesus. It's not about the number of theological books you have on your shelves. It's all about who he is and your relationship with him. If you want to know the correct worldview, 
it's found in Jesus the Messiah. And you say, worldview, what are worldviews? These are different ways that people view the way the world works. And that summary on the back table, if you haven't picked up a book, uh, pick up a book on the back table from Summit Ministries, because it's a good little handy book to have. And uh, there's there's a lot thicker book called Understanding the Times that uh, put together by David Noble back, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago that deals with the different worldviews and it deals with the polytheistic worldview of Hinduism, secular humanism, which is an atheistic worldview, deals with Islam, which is a worldview with the wrong leader. It explains those and compares those so you'll come to understand the difference. But if you want the right one, the right one's found in Jesus the Messiah. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that kind of sounds like if we want to be of the same mind, it's got to be in line with Christ Jesus. It's not a doctrinal creed. It's not a bunch of opinions turned into doctrines. The Jews tried to do that. Jesus called them out. He said, you hold of the traditions of the elders and you nicely forget what Moses wrote. You don't have the authority to do it. You don't have the authority to change it. And so <clears throat> here is the... He said, I want you to be of the same mind with one another. And you ask, what is this all about? Does that mean we're going to become a bunch of zombies walking in lockstep with one another with a whole bunch of opinions about how we do certain things? It's, it's amazing how legalistic people can get. It truly is. When a lot of it is just a matter of the freedom that we've been given as human beings who are all weirdly different. Okay? We're all different. So there is a, a lot of freedom that we have. So we have to be careful about things that... Now, sin is not legalism. But you have to know what's declared sin and what's not sin. Because in the book, it says, where there is no, when there is no uh, law, sin is not imputed. Romans 4.15 and 5.13. So obviously, we need to know what is the law of God. Because that's what tells us what sin is. I've seen people argue over what's the best wine. Is it a domestic wine? Is it a European wine? Is it a German wine? What kind of wine is it? And I'm thinking, this is no argument to even have as a doctrinal issue. You can argue about if you like wine, you can argue about what's the best. If you like soda pop, you can argue about what's the best. But it's not a doctrinal issue at all. And then some people say, well, soda pop's a doctrinal issue. <laughs> the sign inside of Rudy's Barbecue out on Memorial that says, I didn't rise to the top of the food chain to eat vegetables. <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> kind of plays to my weaknesses. <laughs> if you want to know the right worldview, he says that with one accord, okay, you've all come together with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to come together with a worldview that's based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
I've done that. I've been around people. We have all kinds of differences to do. But the things that we can find that we agree on, we can glorify the Lord with one voice in those areas. And let's do it instead of fighting over it. If you want a confident, if you want assurance of your resurrection to eternal life, I know people that say once you, once you die, boy, you're you know you're either cremated and scattered, or kept in an urn or whatever, or you're put in the ground and that's it. All said and done. Um, you want assurance of your resurrection? You want assurance if you go into the ground? If you're turned into ashes, you want assurance that you're going to have eternal life. had a conversation one time, actually with my grandmother. She wouldn't mind me telling you this. But she she said, well, what are you going to do when you when you and Helen die? And I said, well, I don't know. We may be cremated. Oh, and she just got really upset with that. And she said, she said well, how's God going to raise your body? You know, if you're cremated... And I said, well, he spoke and brought the heavens into existence (laughs) so he could put me back together (laughs) from wherever I might be scattered. Well, she said, that's pagan. I said, so is mummification. Look at the Egyptians. So, it's your choice. It is a body. But guess what? The Lord's going to put it all back together at the right time. And like I said, I want to be at a cemetery when the, when the rapture happens. You want assurance of your resurrection? So death works in us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Life in you, but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Uh, you want assurance of being resurrected? It's found in him. Christ the first fruit. After that those who are his. At his coming. If you want a confident expectation. Of your eternal status. Look to Jesus. First Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Hope is a confident expectation in the scripture, not just wishful thinking. You want a confidence of being raised again? If you want to know the proper attitude about good works in your life, look to his word for the answers. Where do good works fit? Because, boy, we sure want to work for our salvation, don't we? Adam and Eve lost it in the garden. What did they do? They started working to show God they didn't need him, that they could save themselves. Fig leaves. They put it all together. We were naked, so we just covered ourselves up. Who told you you were naked? They didn't get out of that one, did they? Now... Ephesians 2 and verse 8. By grace you've been saved by faith. And that not of yourselves, i.e. the salvation. It, salvation, is the gift of God. It, the salvation, is not of works that no one should boast. 
You know, if you could save yourself, you could boast, couldn't you? You could do it. I did it, Lord. I did it without you. That's what that's what the man and the woman were doing in the garden. Uh-huh. We got the fig leaves. We did it without you. Didn't work. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. This new creation. Who we are. In Christ Jesus. For good works. You don't work to get saved. You don't work to stay saved. You don't work to prove you're saved. You work because the Lord Jesus Christ called us to do it to be his representatives. For good works which God prepared beforehand. Here's the omniscience at work. And he said, well, I've got, I've, I've got, I'm going to pick on you, Mike. I've got my card over here. Okay, so I've got Mike. Mike got saved, and now I've got a whole bunch of stuff for him to do. Okay, for good works. Because the biggest problems he ever had penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin, they've been taken care of, so now you can work. Okay? And how are we supposed to work? As heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. We're called to do that. And if you want to learn about responding to the grace you've received, I, I know I want to say, has anybody in here received grace? And we'd all raise our hands. How do we respond to that? Look at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, a verse we, it's easy to not think about, but it's a great verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty, walking around on planet earth, taking our place on a cross, you might become rich. We always thank the Lord. And that, by the way, is the pattern for giving in the church age. Let each give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor out of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. That's how we respond to grace. With our, not just our resources, our attitudes, our time. That's how we respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, again for your amazing grace, your matchless love. We thank you just for the blessings that you have poured out upon us. And, Father, we, uh, we pray that we take these reminders about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue, continuously bring them to mind to us over the course of the week. And I pray that, that our lives might, might be filled up to all your fullness and therefore reflect your glory. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.